Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. This is a prophecy, I believe, of Jesus' coming. And overall, the chapter focuses on the results. But one thing I want us to notice is that it is God's work. And then in in verse 5, says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus did that not only literally, but also spiritually for each one of us. And that's, that's why we're gathered here this morning. The word of the Lord says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ear of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Thank you for that reading, Luke. Isaiah 35 gives us uh, a bit of a, a forepicture of what we see happening in our text this morning. Our text to consider this morning is Mark 7. We are looking at verses 24 to 37. We see in these two stories, people acknowledge their need and acknowledge Jesus as the one who can satisfy that need. In their simple form, these stories are quite inspiring. But when we consider where these stories take place, in the, in the context of Mark, it speaks, I think, an even bigger message. If you recall, the context of Mark 7 is that in the, in the first part, Jesus is explaining that the traditions of the Jews and the scribes and Pharisees are not adequate for salvation. 
that by developing a strict tradition, by developing a strict means of understanding cleanliness by law, Jesus actually says that they make void the very words of God. Jesus is saying we have the capability and the possibility to regard our thinking and our understanding and our way of seeing the world enough that we make void His Word. And then He follows that in the second part with the understanding that defilement, that which is defiled, does not come from without. Okay, so the Jews' pattern was we're going to make these strict traditions to keep the defilement out there. And Jesus said the defilement is here. From the very heart of man comes the sinfulness. And so, we enter then these two stories after that teaching. Um, it's not entirely sure that this is chronological. So I think the writer of Mark is making a statement here by placing these stories behind those sections of Jesus' teaching. So Jesus is teaching two things, and then the writer Mark puts in this story to illustrate what we have the other two things saying. In this context, for the writer to place Jesus in a surrounding pagan city, rewarding the faith of a Gentile, low-class woman and the friends of the deaf-mute man is a remarkable story. They speak a powerful message to us. As we read, notice the posture of both requests and notice the kindness of Jesus. Our text is, again, Mark 7, beginning at verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is God's word. 
I was to center our time here on a main idea, I would say that Jesus crosses the expected ethnic and gender barriers of his day, and he rewards the begging faith of these Gentile people. Jesus disregards the social norms of who was clean and who was unclean, of who one should interact with and who one should not. He disregards color, race, ethnicity, language. And he rewards a faith that begs. There are two ways that we can look at these two stories. We can look at Jesus and his actions and we can take lesson from that. And we can look at the other characters and take lesson from them. Both are instructive to us and we'll attempt to kind of walk the line of catching both. To me, this first story is remarkable. Jesus has traveled roughly 40 miles from the Nazareth area to Tyre, the city of Tyre, which is a coastal city north of Palestine. We can assume that the disciples are with him, but this text does not clearly state that. Here again, as we saw earlier in in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is wishing for quiet and solitude away from the crowds of people, away from needy disciples, away from scribes and Pharisees who are trying to chase him down. Jesus is wanting some peace and quiet, some rest, some vacation. The area of Tyre is known for its beaches, so I don't know if Jesus was going to the beach as we would, but something along those lines. And so he travels outside of Israel. So he leaves the the kind of political boundaries and goes to another country. As he travels, the Jews would not follow him because to leave Israel and to be among unclean people would make them ceremoniously ceremonially unclean. And so uh, they stay behind. And our text says that he enters a house and he's trying to remain unknown. He's trying to remain hidden, but that's not possible. The nature of his miraculous work is known even among these people. And so eventually he is found out. Verse 25 then states, immediately a woman. As you know, immediately is one of Mark's key words. We see it all over. It's a a fast-paced action word. Immediately a woman. Uh, It seems that on the very notice of his presence, she rushes to find him. And she begins to beg him over and over to help her. She falls at his feet and she demands his attention. If you are a parent, you understand this in two ways. A child may need who knows what. But if they want it, they come after it and they bother you until they get it. Also as a parent, you understand the need And you understand the levels that you will go to do whatever your child needs. Dignity is forgotten. Properness is discarded. And the needs of our children are attended to. And so we have those two elements. This woman cares about her child, has a specific dire need, and she comes with full abandon. And then we have this most puzzling exchange. Some say Jesus is speaking in a parable. Some just say that 
This was a moment when Jesus was being a little bit rude. Personally, I, I think that Jesus is giving an illustration as to why He couldn't help her, why He was not going to help her. And it was a bit of a, a test of her faith. And so He presents the image of a family table. The parents are there. The children are there. And this is one of those families that allows pets in the house. And they are there. And the children are calmly or not calmly waiting for their food. And again, we have the pets on the floor. Um, the word here used for dog um, it, it means more pet or puppy, not a slang, as the Jews would say, you Gentile dogs. So it's, it's more of a, of a kinder term than, than a harsh slang. What Jesus is saying is that at a family table, the family eats first. The children eat first. I, I don't know of a family who's going to make human food, set it on the table, and pray, and then everybody reaches down and feeds the pets. That's not the manner in which we do that. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am here to serve the Jews. I am here to rescue them first. I am here to feed and care for them first. I will rescue the Gentiles. Notice he says the dogs ultimately do get the scraps. Not a clear no. He's not saying no, but he's saying not yet. Now if you remember the standard form of parables, um, it goes something like this. Jesus tells the story. He tells the parable. And the people don't know what happened. They don't understand his stories. They go, what are these odd teachings that he's saying that we can't understand? And then often, in private, the disciples go to Jesus, what was that? What were you trying to say there? And Jesus would explain to them, and sometimes they would get it. Most of the time, they didn't. But here in this parable, we have a rare thing. This woman gets it. She understands the story. She understands through parable what Jesus is trying to say. She realized that in Jesus' family dinner story, she is the pet. And she's not a child. And that she would need to wait her turn. And so, she enters Jesus' story. She enters Jesus' parable. And she uses it to ask again for healing. I know I am a Gentile. I know I am a pet. But the nature of children eating at a table is such that sometimes a few crumbs fall on the floor. And sometimes the pets get to eat before their allotted time. In other words, you are right to serve the Jews' ribeyes. You're right to feed them well. You're right to put your energy there. But Jimmy dropped a little piece of bread, and I'd like to eat it. Jesus, astonished at her persistent faith, says in our words, well played. Well played. Go home. Your daughter is no longer possessed. You understand. You understand who I am. You understand what my mission is. Someone finally understood the parable. 
In the second story, again, we see a secondary faith bringing healing to a deaf and mute man. In the story of the woman, the faith of the mother caused the healing for the child. In this story, the faith of the man's friends brings healing to him. We see some similarities. Jesus is no longer in Tyre, but he is now east of the Sea of Galilee and still in in heathen Gentile territory. We also see begging. They came and they begged Jesus to help their friend. Again, we see Jesus seeking to be anonymous after he performed the healing. He's like, you know, keep it down. Don't spread it around too far. As I mentioned earlier, the structure of this chapter says a lot to us. Too often, we read the Bible kind of verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and we don't step back and get the full picture. Mark is intending to tell us some very specific things in the way he writes this. And so, let's consider those. First of all, Mark is telling us that the first century Jews' racial and territorial understanding of cleanliness is not true. Here was a woman who was traditionally and ceremoniously unclean. She was a low-class person. She was a conquered person living in a Greek society. Being touched by her or touching her, if you were a rabbi, would make you unclean. But Mark uses her as an example of one who knows her defilement, but who still persistently comes to Jesus for cleansing. The socially defiled is actually the most clean because she assigns to Jesus his real identity. Everyone else, disciples included, still does not understand who Jesus is. But a defiled Gentile woman understands. She is our example. Not those who hang to the traditions. Not those who seek to push defilement out. But the one who understands her place. Who understands the fact that she is undone. She is the one that Jesus points to us as a model for our faith. In our world, it would be as if Mark is pointing to an illegal immigrant in our society. Someone who's cast down and say, no, that's where you find true faith. So this should have a number of effects on us. This should shatter any form of racism in us. Let's be honest. We are all born racists. We are all born liking ourselves and those like us. Me, my family, and those like us are better than everyone else. And every person is born with that nature. If you don't agree, I invite you to um, go to really any school. And you will find boys arguing whether their daddy's trucks are better than the others. It is who we are. We, like ourselves. And we may tire of the public cries of false racism. I think we see some of that. And, and so maybe we're, we're tired of the cries of racism. 
But don't, let, don't allow that to stop us looking at ourselves, looking at our hearts, seeing where we regard ourselves and those like us better. In reality, we are all a race of one. We are all humanity. And Jesus going outside of the boundaries, outside of the national boundaries, outside of the ethnic boundaries, and marking that as faith shows us that He values all. He regards not race or ethnicity. Jesus is saying, I regard no race. I regard only faith and only true faith. Jesus also disregards the the social structure and accepts both the woman's and the friend's faithful begging. That's right, begging. The idea here represents an urging, a passionate plea, a deep level of request. This was displayed by Jairus as he pled for his daughter, by the leper in Mark 1 who says, I know you can heal me. And by the demon-possessed man in Decapolis who begged Jesus to return with him. All of these had an awareness of who Jesus was and an awareness of what their own needs were. Too often our posture is one of passive request. God, if you could do this, I would like that. God, if, if, if you will... Do this. We who are born in Christian families, who are born Christians, don't have the same awareness of our deep need. And our request may be more like polite, respectful things. Kind of a transfer of information. Kind of like a request for a rich neighbor to support your child's money raising uh, or fundraiser. You know, kind of, I know, you know, can you help us out? Um, I got some chocolate, maybe a broom. Can you help us out? Is that the way we we go to Jesus? I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I'm doing some good things. Can you help me out? Can you fill in the rest and make everything better? No. No, these people are desperate. They're passionately pleading for what they know they can only receive from Christ. And so for us, is salvation that one thing? Do we recognize in ourselves that there's nothing we can do? That as the earlier in the chapter says, the defilement is here. There's nothing we can do. Do we recognize that there's nothing we can add? There's no chocolate or brooms or anything that we can give to Jesus and say, listen, help us out. No, we come in full and complete total need. We beg, please, I have no other means. You've noticed that in our Sunday morning services, we've started to do periodically a time of confession. Let me give a little apologetic for that. If we are not confessional, if we are not continually recognizing our sin, seeking our lives for sin, we lose the fact that we must have Christ. 
And so this, so in our morning worship service, we're doing that to bring about an understanding in all of us that none of us is worthy, that none of us is perfect, that none of us is worthy of Christ's honor. And when we recognize our desperate need, when we confess our sin, sometimes it's the same sin every Sunday, right? Yeah, I got, I got mad at my wife again. Yes, I got mad at my kids and I fussed off at them. I mean, how many, you'd think I should be able to get over that, right? We're desperate for Christ to do that work in us. Do we see the defilement that is our nation? And do we beg for God's renewal? So now, community-wise, do we see the solution to the world's problems as this president, this person, elect this man, get this party in power? Is that how we solve that? Or do we realize that the only hope for any nation is Christ? Is for Christ to renew, for Christ to work, for Christ to call? And do we beg for it? Do we realize it's the only way and it's outside of us? As parents, do we see the sinfulness of our children as clearly as this mother saw the demon possession of her daughter? Do we recognize that there's nothing we can do to save our children? And so we beg of God to do so. This morning we recognize that Jesus is an equal opportunity Savior. He regards no race. He regards no ethnicity. And He grants graciously to those who recognize their deep need and beg, beg of His action on their behalf. The final part of this chapter we see in verse 37. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He has done all things well. Is this the Savior that we know? The Savior whom the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Do we assign that identity to Christ? He has done all things well. As we consider this this morning, ask yourself, first of all, where have you regarded yourself higher than you ought? And how do you regard Christ? Is He the one, the only one who can save you from your deep needs? Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful that You, as Father, as Creator, sent Jesus into our world. We recognize that without His work on our behalf, that we are undone. We recognize that 
what was promised in Isaiah is fulfilled in Him. Through Him, the nations are blessed. Father, in our areas of need, give us the courage, give us the understanding of our need. Give us the courage to seek, to beg of Your forgiveness, of Your presence, of Your work on our behalf. Father, as these two people were in brokenness beyond any human repair, Father, we the same are broken beyond any human repair. We pray that as You work in our lives, as You call, as Your Word calls, that we would heed that Word and turn ourselves fully on our face in front of You. And beg that You would work on our behalf, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our church, on behalf of our nation. Father, we believe that You will do this. We believe that You alone are the source of this power. Grant us Your grace as we go throughout this week. May we be reflectors of Your glory. We pray this all through Christ. Amen.